Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara and as always I am joined with my ghoul friend Jessica. Hey! Hello! And today we are bringing you another patron select. This episode is dedicated to our patron, Amanda. Amanda, thank you so, so much for supporting the show. We love and appreciate you. Now, the case she has chosen today is Diane Schuler. Quick trigger warning on this case. It is a rough one. If you aren't familiar, this case involves the fatal car crash taking the lives of eight people total, including Diane. Of those eight, four were children. The topics of drunk driving and alcoholism does come up quite a bit in this case, and I know that can also be triggering for some people, so I wanted to give a fair warning just in case you were unfamiliar with this one. Okay. Diane Schuler was born on November 13th, 1972 in Floral Park, New York. She was the youngest and only daughter to Warren Sr. and Eileen Hance. When Diane was nine years old, her mother would actually leave Warren and the kids. It's noted to be something that Diane never really talked about, and it's kind of very kept private, which I mean, that's fine. That's their family. You know, it's private business. But basically, people had said it was like the mom left the whole family for like one of their neighbors or something. Mm -hmm. So, and Diane was nine when this happened. Her brothers later in life would reconnect with their mom, but she did not. She chose to just keep separate from her. And once her mom left, she took on the role of like the, quote, woman in the house by, you know, making sure her brothers and her dad were okay. You know, she'd do the chores. She'd make food, that kind of thing. She just took on a lot of responsibility. Those close to her said she had a great personality, a good head on her shoulders, and was super responsible because of how things went when she was raised. She was also someone who loved being the center of attention and wasn't afraid to speak her mind. It was said by one of her close friends, her best friend, actually, if she didn't like you, you would know it. Like, she was not afraid to be vocal about shit. And she had been married to her husband, Danny, for 13 years at the time of the accident. They had met at a friend's wedding, actually, and said to instantly fall in love. Prior to to this, Diana had not dated very much, and the two would have a son and daughter together, and Diane worked as the director of credit, billing, and collections at Cablevision with a salary of 100 k So she was the breadwinner of the family. She was also described as being a loving and devoted mother, someone who was a, quote, super mom. She was super organized, there for her kids and husband, did all the house chores, said to be very loving, and managed to make things work, even though her and Danny 
Abby did work opposite shifts, and she did all sorts of volunteering at her kid's school and things like that. And along with this, Diane is also described as a take-charge kind of woman and also a perfectionist. I just feel like all of this character stuff kind of goes into the what the fuck with this case, because it's very much that kind of case. Yeah, we'll get into it. So what happened? Okay. Well, on the weekend of July 26, 2009, Diane, Danny, their two kids, and then her brother's three kids, so her three nieces, they were camping at Hunter Lake Campground in Parksville, New York, which is upstate New York. Danny had, on the day they were leaving, got up and he started to get the boat ready, clean it up so they could drive home. He was going to pull it back on their truck. And this was at 6 a.m. He was going to take the boat and their dog that they had taken with them on the trip. And then Diane would take all five kids back home because she had actually borrowed her brother Warren's minivan so they could transport all the kids. And Danny said Diane got up shortly after this and they had coffee and she would get the kids up and get them ready to go by 7 a.m. And as they're getting ready to leave, Emma is one of her nieces, age eight. She calls and talks to Warren, the dad. And, you know, she's saying like they've had such a great time and he can hear all the other kids in the background like laughing, being excited. Like everyone seemed really, really happy. So they get everything ready to go and they head out by 9.30 a.m. And they were actually friends with the owner of the campground. And Diane swung by and talked to her for a few minutes. And she said everything seemed fine. There was nothing to raise any alarm. Like, everyone seemed good to go. The kids were happy. She seemed happy. Like, you know, they had a good weekend. So they all left together. Danny was leading and then she was behind them. But she would stop for gas and then also to grab the kids some breakfast from a McDonald's in Liberty. And the surveillance footage puts them there at 9.56 a.m. Later, an employee that served Diane and the kids said the same thing as the campground owner, that Diane seemed fine, nothing to raise alarm from the group. She also looked, quote, normal and seemed sober and everything. And then on the footage, nothing seemed weird either. By 10.46 a.m., they stopped at a gas station that was also in Liberty. And there is footage of her going in. It's a Sunoco. She looks sober. When she went into the gas gas station, it was said that she went in looking for like over-the-counter pain meds, like some gel capsule type of meds, you know, but they didn't have any, so she leaves. Now, this is according to the employee that was working there. The footage from the surveillance camera, there's no audio, but again, she looked totally fine. When they leave here, it's noted they were traveling along Route 17 slash Interstate 86 and the New York Thruway, or in parentheses on the article, it said Interstate 87. And they went across the Tappan Zee Bridge heading east. Later, reports would come in that there was a red minivan, aka the one Diana's driving, said to be driving aggressively. It was tailgating. She was flashing lights, going really fast, things like that, all in this area. Now, at 1137, Diane calls... I think they were together at this point, but some articles said Jackie and some said Warren, but like they're married. So it's like her brother and sister-in-law. So obviously she was calling them and she was telling them at this time they were running a bit late because there was a lot of traffic. It's a Sunday, so makes sense, you know, and witnesses would say that at about 1145 a.m. They saw a woman pull to the side of the road in this van. So Diane and she was bent over like she was throwing up or something. 
And then she would also be seen getting sick again on the Ramapo Slotsburg rest stop shortly after this. And I'm going to mention this documentary probably like a million times from here on out because, you know, that's just what I fucking do when I get one on my mind. But it's fine. (laughs) If you're familiar with this case, you probably saw it. It's on HBO Max. It's called There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane. I do want to give a huge warning because they actually show a photo of her after she has passed away at the crash site. It was just like out of nowhere and there. And I was just like, wow, I don't know. I mean, part of me is like, well, you're watching, you know, true crimey stuff. Like, what do you expect? But at the same time, I feel like a lot of documentaries kind of give a little bit of a warning before it starts that there's that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? It was just a lot. Thankfully, they were respectful and did not show any pictures of the children. But anyway, the reason why I brought the documentary up is they in this documentary, it's pretty old now, but it was made with her husband, the sister-in-law and like witnesses and stuff like that. Well, there was this older couple that was on it and they said that at about 1213, they pulled into Harriman Toll Plaza, which was like another rest stop type of thing. And they saw her vehicle veer into like the truck area, like the, you know, the semi area. And she was bent over and, you know, they had not really thought about it, but they went inside. And when they came back to go, it was about 1230, but she was gone. And it just made me so sad because there's just like cute little old couple and they're just like, if we had went over there, maybe we could have stopped it. And I'm just like, oh, you can't know these things, you know, it just like made my heart sad. And then at 1255, according to phone records, there was a wrong number call placed, which I'm like, I don't understand if that's just like not dialed completely or she called someone and then hung up. I don't know. But that's mentioned a few times throughout this. And three minutes later at 1258, Emma, the eight-year-old niece, calls her parents and says that Diane was incoherent, having difficulty seeing, confused, and that they were lost. And she tells her parents, quote, there's something wrong with Aunt Diane, which just just like broke my heart because I'm like, oh my God, this is the title of the fucking documentary. Well, when all of this chaos is going on, they tell them, you know, like, why don't you pull over, sit tight, we can come to you, you know, that kind of thing. But the call just drops abruptly. And at 101, so just a couple minutes later, Warren calls Diane's phone back and says that she did sound very incoherent. Her words were slurring. And at one point, she was like getting him confused with her husband and calling him Danny and all of this stuff. And then this was about like an eight minute phone call, I believe. And Emma got back on the phone and Diane pulls over to like this little like shoulder, basically. You know, the parents are trying to figure out where the fuck they are. So she's telling them, you know, know, kind of what she's seen. And she's like, I saw a sign that said Sleepy Hollow. And then I saw a sign that said Terrytown. And at this point, Diane takes the phone and her brother is like, y'all need to fucking wait there. And then that call ends. And then at 110, there's four wrong number calls from Diane's phone. And then what's weird is she, for some reason, puts her phone down and it's described as like neatly. It's not like it's thrown out of the car or anything like that. Like it's just sat down and it's on this like concrete barrier on the Tappan Zee bridge and she just drives off without her phone. She just leaves it there. Five minutes after that, so 1.15, Warren calls the phone back and it gets her voicemail. And a bunch of people are trying to call. All the family's like freaking out, trying to figure out where the fuck they are, you know, that kind of thing. And Jackie, Warren's wife, had called 911 to like, they tried to get like an Amber Alert going to help them find the car. Not that they thought she was kidnapping their kids, you know what I mean? Right. 
But they were so freaked out and everything that, like, they couldn't remember off the top of their head, like, their license plate number. So it just made shit a little more difficult. But the other thing is, like, with her leaving her phone there, there's, like, this gap in time, about, I think, 20-ish minutes, where they don't know anything about, like, obviously she got off, she got off the highway, but they don't know, like, any other details until she gets back on the other highway, if that makes sense, because there's, like, some side roads and stuff. And they're like, we don't know why she did it, what the fuck but basically she would end up on the taconic state parkway which is another highway and this puts us roughly at 1 p.m so the really scary thing is she actually gets on the highway going the wrong direction she gets on this highway through the exit ramp and these are super marked there was two do not enter and two one-way signs and like obviously things to be like no do not come this way And literally within, like, minutes, multiple 911 calls were placed, of course, by people who were traveling on the fucking highway and seeing this. And you can hear a lot of the audio from these 911 calls on this documentary. They were just calling, and her car was estimated to be going about 75 to 85 miles per hour because she was, like, passing people, like, pretty quickly. And basically, like, they had kind of, people had guesstimated this because, like, she would be gaining on them. And, like, luckily, most of the people were able to get out of the fast, like, you know, scoot over out of the lane because there was multiple lanes on this highway. It was just crazy. But you'd think she'd be, like, swerving and driving crazy, but she really wasn't. There's just one guy that they talked to, and he said that she was driving, like, completely straight with precision, like, she had a purpose that she was driving on a mission, which is just so fucked and so dark. And then they also describe her facial expression as oblivious or serene. Just basically she was just driving like it didn't fucking matter that like it was totally normal even though she was going literally into oncoming traffic. Oh my god. And anytime she would get close to cars and stuff she wouldn't slow down. Nothing. Wouldn't swerve. Nothing. Just kept going. And she would literally travel down going the wrong way on this highway 1.7 miles. I am just like, oh my God. And the fatal crash would occur at 1.35 p.m. with a 2004 Chevy Trailblazer. And then the Trailblazer struck a 2002 Chevy Tracker. Now, the men in the Trailblazer were Guy and Michael Bastardi and their friend Michael Longo. The three men were headed to their family's house for Sunday dinner. And they all died on the scene at the crash. The passengers in the tracker luckily would just have minor injuries but survive. Now, in terms of Diane's vehicle, Diane, her two-year-old daughter, Warren's three daughters, ages eight, seven, and five, would all die due to the crash. Diane's son, who was also in the vehicle, he was about five at the time. He would be the only survivor out of the minivan. Now, gosh, this one is just like, this documentary is so heavy, but like, you get to see so much. So you also hear the 911 calls from the drivers who pulled over immediately, like when this crash happened, when they saw it happen, you know? And there was so many people, like these witnesses were saying, like literally everyone was pulling over, but one of them was an off-duty cop from New York City, and that call was just like, oh, it was so chilling. You know, he's talking to the operator, and he's like, no, there's fatalities here. We also need to get, you know, X, Y, and Z because the van's on fire. And like, you know, he's obviously like doing what he's trying to do, but it's just like, just knowing, it just breaks your fucking heart so much. And then there's this old guy who, oh my God, literally just want to hug him because like this is so horrific and so sad and he like starts crying and stuff obviously 
naturally as any fucking human would. And he's talking about how him and this other guy, they were the first ones to get to the van. And that's when you see Diane's picture. But on top of that, they also got all of the kids out of the van. And like I said, the other kids, they had passed away. One of the nieces, they did try to transport to the hospital, but she did not make it. But her daughter and the other two nieces died on the scene. And then when they were taking the other kids out, the son who lived, he was literally underneath their bodies. Like people think maybe they helped. It was just really odd. But like, thankfully, you know, he lived. It was really weird. Obviously, no one was wearing seatbelts. Like the kids weren't wearing seatbelts. She wasn't. All of that. Which people that know her was just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Now, on top of that, like, it's just, this whole thing is just tragic because it's not just Diane and you know, that family. It's also the other families from the other victims, too. So it's just really sad. The males, they were relatively young. I think, like, one was in their 40s or 50s. One was a bit older, but still, like, he was healthy. So it's like, you know, they still have life to live, too. So it's just really heartbreaking. But now, this is where things kind of get interesting. I hate using the word interesting, but it's, like, weird, interesting. I don't know. We got some stuff starting to spark questions. So at the scene, they find a broken vodka bottle in the car car for in the van for starters sorry i call everything a car so get over it (laughs) when danny's asked about this at first he's like i have no idea where that came from my wife didn't drink i've only seen her drunk one time in 13 years blah 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 but then as time goes on the story starts changing And he's like, well, actually, that was our bottle of vodka. We took camping. We'd have drinks, blah, blah, blah. Which is like, okay, if that's true, like, fair. Plenty of people take alcohol when they go camping. You know, like, I get it. But people just thought it was weird he lied about it and tried to be like, I don't know where that came from. I've never seen that. Blah, blah, blah. You know, that kind of shit. And then the other argument was like, well, like, why would just the vodka bottle be up in the cab of this van? Like, why wouldn't it be in the back with, like, all your shit? That's weird. And basically, he was just like, I don't know. She packed things up. I don't know. I don't know. Which, I mean, could be true. Could be true. I don't know. So, of course, you know, they do an autopsy to see if there's anything that can help explain why this, like, mom who they're essentially everyone called a super mom and would never do anything to hurt her kids. Like, what the fuck happened, right? Well, this autopsy causes a huge riff, especially as far as, like, Danny goes. So, when they did the medical examination, her autopsy, they also did a toxicology report on her as well. And that caused a lot of concern. So... They ran her blood alcohol levels for her blood, urine, and like in her brain and vitreous humor. And in her blood, it was 0.19 grams. In her urine, it was 0.25. The vitreous humor was 0.23. And her brain was 0.17. And on top of that, she had six grams of vodka in her stomach that she hadn't even digested yet. So she had recently drank that. And she also had 113 negagrams, I think is what they said it was, of THC. She had a crap ton of THC in her system, too. So she cross-faded as fuck. Yes. So they're like, what the actual fuck is going on with this? And so these results blew everybody's mind because, like, legally you're not supposed to be over point, like, what is it, 0.07, 0.08, something like that? 
and she's just like off the charts. And of course, her family's like, no, 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 not Diane. She wouldn't do this. And like instantly, her husband's like, nope, nope, there's something else going on. I don't know if it's not her results or this is a mistake, but no, this could not have happened. And they're like, well, it's here, bro. It's fucking here. So I could understand if like maybe like one test came back like abnormal and they're like, oh, that's obviously like, let's say her blood got switched. Right. But like the vitreous humor is the like the stuff between your retina and your lens. So like and then between your vertebrae, like the the clear liquidy stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's like a procedure that would be very like, I'm sure they would take it from the source and then test it right away. And the urine and the fact that she had six ounces of vodka in her stomach. Like that's even just like if you take the THC out of it. Yeah. What was already in her bloodstream and stuff was they said equated to 10 fucking drinks. So she just, like, drank the bottle. Pretty much. So, needless to say, into 2010, you know, the final report would be released by the state police and all of that stuff. And they said that the car accident was a homicide. But the DA backed off from pressing any charges because he was like, this was solely on Diane. And Diane's not here. So, you know, which turned into this whole mess of a ton of lawsuits, like from the Bastardi family to Danny and Warren and then within the family and like just a whole fucking mess. And literally the other family, the Bastardi family, tried to also sue Warren too because it was his van. I'm like, dude, he lost all of his kids. Like, are you fucking kidding me? He wasn't there. Oh, that made me so mad. That's a little bit reaching. I get how people want to have like some sort of justice or vindication or- But he's a victim too. Right. So you're just going to hurt him? Yeah, pretty much. More? Pretty much, pretty much. But yeah, everyone was suing each other and then including like Danny and Warren got into some lawsuits and stuff. But like basically everything got thrown out in the end. Long story short with that. Now, Danny would actually hire a PI named Tom Ruskin. They allegedly paid Tom $30,000 to look into this and to have all of Diane's tests redone and the autopsy checked, all of that to make sure it was accurate. Because like I said, they didn't think this was right. And they basically, Danny and the sister-in-law thought like the cops just saw the vodka bottle and ran with it. That was their words. And they thought that because of that, you know, they weren't going to look at anything else medically because this family had this huge claim that Diane had this tooth abscess and this could have caused her a stroke or maybe something else happened like an aneurysm or some kind of underlying health condition they didn't know about and all this stuff. And they even tried to bring up like, so she had gestational diabetes. Then somebody came in and was like, whoa, whoa, wait. But like she, after she had her children, like she had no issues with that. Yeah. I was about to be like, isn't gestational diabetes like when you're pregnant? Yes, it's like temporary. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You are gestating. Exactly, exactly. And then basically, like, they were just refusing she was driving under the influence of any kind. They were like, you know, she has all this dental history. So when they made the HBO documentary, they're like, okay, cool. Like, let's fucking get them. Let's look through them and stuff. So like, yes, she had lengthy stuff. And like, she avoided getting work done because that was like one of her fears was like, she just didn't like dental work, whatever, relatable for some people, you know, all of that. And then like her BFF is there being interviewed and stuff too. And she's like, yeah, Diane was like rubbing her jaw the whole week before. And I'm like, okay. 
<laughs> yeah, but I mean, I've seen like I, I watched a video once where a guy was like having a stroke or a yeah. seizure mm-hmm. while driving, mm-hmm. and it's like pretty much in that moment you wouldn't have the wherewithal to get off of the highway, have a mystery twenty minutes, which it only takes like ten minutes for alcohol to get to your like nervous system, mm-hmm. and then to like get on the freeway the wrong way. Yeah, like that's a lot of time. Like they were driving so long. So, yeah. Yeah. And there was all the calls before where they're talking to the daughter Mm -hmm. or the niece slash daughter, depending on who you are in the story. I mean, this is like way too long for to be like, oh, her tooth was hurting. She might have been having a stroke or an aneurysm. No, like aneurysms like typically take people down pretty quickly. Yeah. Like and most of the time you just die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So confused. Yeah. And uh, this got interesting, too, in the documentary. So when they were talking to, like, Danny and the sister-in-law, I'm so sorry. I forgot her first name. I apologize. They were basically saying that Tom, the PI, took the money and ghosted them. And so they got this lawyer, and it was, like, a whole thing. That's what they said. But I will say, sorry, I'm going to spoil it if you haven't watched this, but you can still watch it. Tom literally calls her at, like, the end, and he's like, no, because she's like, what the fuck? Like, what have you done with her stuff? Why didn't you get it retested all this stuff and he's like i did it nine months ago like i was asked to i tried to call you guys and nobody answered and she's like oh that's why i just got told like all this shady stuff was happening and not to answer any of your phone calls and he's like no that's literally why i was calling and obviously he's not gonna leave all of that medical information on a voicemail you know right HIPAA. Yeah, exactly. So he's like, uh, (laughs) no, I wasn't like fucking around with you guys. I literally did what you asked at that point almost a year earlier. So she's all like, what the fuck? Uh," And it's like this whole thing. Now, then they start talking about this autopsy, right? And he says, look, their autopsy and their toxicology reports legit. Everything came back the same exact way. All of the levels. Yes, exactly the same. These really high levels, you know, for everything. And then they also confirmed there was zero evidence of her having an abscess, a stroke, a heart attack, nothing. And on top of that, this is kind of like, I'm kind of pulling you. I'm interweaving the timeline a little bit. But (laughs) this was earlier in the timeline, but it's fine. So the makers of the documentary had like this super prestigious like doctor come in and look at the, because they obviously have a copy of everything, right? And this doctor was just like, look, this was done right. This was done extremely well, very thorough. Like, I don't know what to tell you. This is what happened. And they just kept being like, nope, nope, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And he basically was just like, okay, well, this is the information. This is really what was going on with her body. Like, you can interpret that how you want. The facts are here for you, friend. I don't know what to tell you type of thing, right? And they kept pressing. They're like, well, what if there is this medical thing? You know, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, yes, but they checked for all of this. It's not here. He's like, it doesn't matter because of these high levels of alcohol and THC, they are going to come back to that. And that is going to be, you know, the reason for the impairment, which led to the crash. Like, you can't spell it out any more than that. And they just, nope. And he's like, but if you want this looked at by somebody, sure, but it's not, you're going to get the same answer, you know? So, which obviously leads to like, what the fuck happened? Why was she getting crossfaded and then driving these innocent little babies? I mean, I know they're kids, but I just call them babies because, you know, little sweet babies. Like, makes zero fucking sense. And interesting, as things get looked at, our stories start to change, as typically does. It was said that it depends who they interviewed, too, which is interesting because some people would be like, no, Diane never drank. I've never seen her drink. I've never seen her do drugs. Like, I've never seen her smoke. Nothing. 
type of thing. And then other people were like, well, she did drink regularly and she did partake in marijuana to self-medicate. It was said that she would use it for insomnia and pain, which some would say that she did this every day or, you know, whether she was in pain or not. And sometimes like in the middle of the day, multiple times a day, things like that. And it's like, obviously, I'm not talking about about using any of that because like there's a lot of health benefits with cannabis. So I get it. It's just weird to me. And I think that should be normalized, honestly. But I just think it's weird that like it kind of gets your wheels turning because you're like, why are they trying to act like she's a saint who did nothing when it's like, honestly, doing these things, if you're not putting your family or anybody else in danger, there's really no harm in it. You know what I mean? So it's just it's interesting. It's interesting. But we will continue. But basically, the question in theory would come out was Diane a high functioning alcoholic because high functioning alcoholics can hide certain things. On the sources page, there will be a very educated, well written out thing about all of this for you guys if you're interested, you know, and that would like fit into certain people in her life did not know about this type of thing. Some people did, what have you. And from the autopsy, there was no long-term damage on her organs suggesting a like long-term alcoholism issue. But they also said in the same breath that like this doesn't mean this couldn't have been something in more recent years. Because basically when they looked at it, they're like, you know, look at all the like trauma and unresolved issues she had as a kid with her mom leaving and having to basically have no childhood. Like, and she was someone who did not talk about personal things. Like she just kept it to herself, suppressed it, whatever. And then all of this stress with like, being this perfect mom and everything, having a legit career, you know, all of that. And it's just really interesting because it's like, we don't know what goes on behind closed doors either. Some people kind of insinuated they were like friends with her all through childhood and all through high school and stuff. And then whenever she got with Danny, they just like distanced. So I don't know if they were suggesting maybe he isolated her. I'm not going to say anything like make any claims like that. That's just kind of what they were insinuating. But others were saying like they were great, all of that. But it's like, how many times do we hear in fucking true crime documentaries or true crime cases, they were the perfect family until they weren't. So, you know. (laughs) Sorry. I just like, I didn't mean to laugh, but I think of the meme where it's like the happy, (laughs) smiling family. And then on the bottom, it's like a negative of the same picture. And I'm like, oh, geez. Yeah, that was exactly what I was like quoting. But yeah, that's my point because it's true. So that reaction of like, you know, we never saw her or that isn't in her character, like that doesn't really hold up much because it can fit into that box for that, you know. I'm not saying yes or no, because I don't know. I don't know. I didn't know her, but just relaying. And sometimes people withdraw for myriad reasons. Like they could be that like they're self-conscious about something. Maybe like being around you holds some sort of like trauma for them that they don't like know it's just subconscious. So they like push you away. There's a myriad of reasons why people back out. Mm-hmm. of like friendships people outgrow friendships mm-hmm. too some people just don't want to deal with that right exactly that was the other point because that's what it kind of made me think of is just they grew apart rather than anything they right. were trying to edit and make it feel because like she just said like you know like no ill feelings we just weren't in each other's lives and didn't have that connection anymore type of thing now on the other hand though they did kind of touch on like this theory of kind of to go more towards the medical side a little bit of delirium which is said 
to be an abrupt change in the brain that causes mental confusion and emotional disruption. It can make it difficult to think, remember, sleep, pay attention, and more. You might experience delirium with alcohol withdrawal after surgery or with dementia. So another possibility too. Obviously, she didn't have any recent surgeries or dementia. So I guess they were kind of bringing that up because of the the question of the alcohol use. And when they were talking about the THC too, they were just like, you know, those levels, even though it was high, like it could have been from like the night before and maybe she was really hung over. And then also like, what if she was having a toothache? Yes, there's no abscess. But what if she was having a toothache and she was essentially self-medicating, whether you include the THC or just the alcohol? Because if she, you know, maybe she was just chugging it or whatever, because like I said, she stopped and couldn't get, you know, Tylenol or whatever the fuck. So we don't know. Right. As far as that goes, like, we have no clue. Well, right. I was going to say, it's like, if she was addicted to both of those substances, like, mm-hmm. people who are truly addicted to something, when they're going through a withdrawal, like, there is no rational thought. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's many possibilities with that. And to this day, like, what I was, I was trying to find more recent articles, but the most were from, like, last year. He's mm-hmm. still holding out. I guess he's just, you know, either people think it's either one of two things, extreme denial, or he just knows more and doesn't want to say. I I don't know. They were at one point going to try to exhume her body to do more testing. But then like, they were like, well, we're going to do a hair follicle test because at this point, like, you know, it's pointless to try to do anything on her body because it's been so long type of thing. And for some reason, he was just like not for it or whatever, because like as many people know, like your hair will hold stuff for a pretty long time. So yeah, that that was like a couple years after and that just kind of like fell through. So that was strange. But honestly, at the end of the day, eight lives were lost. Their families are dealing with this. Probably, I would assume, still today, you know. And it just, it broke my heart so bad seeing just those kids, like, little sweet faces on those pictures and stuff. It just, it hurt my heart so much. And her son that survived, like I said, this documentary came out a couple years after the accident, but he had a serious head injury and developed oculomotor palsy, which basically, they said, affects the movement of his eye and it was in his right eye. So at that point, he had had surgery and he was in like therapy and stuff like that, like trying to heal and whatnot. But we did have some good come from this. And with these ones, you know, we like to kind of try to end on a somewhat positive note. So in August of 2009, New York Governor David Patterson proposed the Child Passenger Protection Act. And this would make it a felony to drive while intoxicated if a passenger under the age of 16 is in the vehicle. And this would later become known as Leandra's Law because there was a case with an 11-year-old girl in October of 2009. She was a passenger in a vehicle who had a drunk driver and she passed away. Like, so fucking heartbreaking. And the Child Passenger Protection Act was signed into New York law on November 18th, 2009. And then Jackie and Warren, Hans, the ones who lost their three daughters, they created a foundation called the Hans Family Foundation. And it said their main purpose is to honor the lives of their three daughters by ensuring healthy, happy, and safe children through innovative self-esteem educational programming. The foundation's central project is Beautiful Me, a self-esteem program designed to educate girls by promoting appreciation for their genuine qualities, accurate self-awareness, and the satisfaction of helping others. So I think that's fantastic. 
in a great way to honor their daughters, you know? And then it was also reported that a couple years after this, you know, when they were trying to kind of try to find some kind of normal, you know, they started hanging out with friends again. And the talk of if they would have any more children came up and they actually went through IVF and they did have another daughter in 2011. And she is just, she was just the cutest, cutest thing ever. So yeah, just, ugh. This one, y'all, God, it uh, it definitely hurt my heart. Ooh, and it took me a little, I had to take a break when I was watching that documentary because it's long as fuck. It's like two fucking hours or so. So I had to take a little break when I was watching that. But thank you to Amanda for bringing this case to us. I kind of knew about it. I didn't know the full details. I knew what had happened, like the car crash and stuff, but that was really all I knew. If you would like your own dedicated episode, you can head to Patreon and check that all out. This starts at our $10 tier. And that's really all we have for today. So we will see you on Monday. Bye, guys. Bye.